97% of salespeople are missing this one thing that if they only knew it would allow them to close 75% more sales. It has nothing to do with charisma, the gift of gab, or whatever else you've been told. Because if you're trying to convince your customer, that means they don't want to buy, which means you've already lost the sale. What sales professionals do is sell customers exactly what they want to buy. They work with the customer to uncover their current challenges, the consequences of those challenges, and how that's impacting them. They then help the prospect describe the ideal solution to their problems, what that looks like, and how that perfect outcome will impact them. And once they can picture that perfect outcome, price is irrelevant. That's right. Sales professionals sell customers exactly what they want to buy because it's easier dealing with a happy customer than dealing with a customer who felt sold. So here's the deal. I explain everything in my live two-day sales workshop, June 14th and 15th in my office. Go to closemoresales.com workshop and you'll be able to close more sales as soon as you get back. Hey everybody, thank you for joining us for today's episode of Certainty Talks. On this show, we talk about certainty, a topic that feels more important today than ever before, but all in all, always an important topic. We got my good friend and business partner in the Whale Club here, Paul Sparks, not only a successful real estate investor, but also a certified certainty advisor. Now, we do this show because a wise man once asked a question. You look at the last three years of your business and turn all the negative months into zeros, what would happen to your bottom line? That wise man is Dan Nicholson. So today, Paul and I, we're here to help you achieve financial certainty by rigging the game in your favor. I am on a mission to create 100 millionaires. The information on this podcast alone is enough to help you become a millionaire in the next five to seven years. If you take consistent action, you will become one. If you get value today, please share this episode right now. That way we can all grow together. As Paul and I are talking, there's going to be some weird concepts and you're going to feel this urge to close the loop. Highly encourage you to keep the loop open as much as possible. Write your takeaways in the live chat. And after you've had some time to think about it, put your six-word update in the comments below. Today we're talking about how to raise your floor, which is directly tied to what we're saying, the question that Dan Nicholson, Dan Nicholson asked. But before we do that, let's go into six-word updates. I'll go real quick. Mine is, doing this right is really hard. Yeah. Well, Happy New Year, everybody. And doing this right is really hard. The things that we talk about on the show, oftentimes, you know, we're talking about uh, theory. Um, you know, we're talking about solvable problem and all these different phrases and stuff. But actually applying it in your business, I mean, Steve and I talk about this all the time. It's, it's just not easy. It's one thing to say it. It's another to actually do it, right? Yeah, the application of these theories, because a lot of these theories are, are really newer uh, for us, or if we knew it, we didn't understand it in this context or in this way. And so applying it for our business, especially knowing how Paul and I are wired to go fast, start fast, start fast and, and sprint. It's, it's, it's really hard uh, for, for, for us. Go ahead. What's your six word update? So mine is appreciate when bad things don't happen. Yeah. And so it's really easy to look at what a couple things that we're going to talk about today, like the high watermark. And, you know, a lot of us are high achievers and we're wired towards trying to beat our last PR, you know, personal best or whatever. Um, I actually had written two here and I almost was gonna, not going to say it, but I feel like it's relevant. Um, the other one I wrote was maximum achievability does not or doesn't equal maximum sustainability. You know, so we're always trying to beat our, our highest Right. And beat our best. But what we're going to talk about today is instead of trying to raise the ceiling, let's raise the floor. Let's just stop doing 
and prevent doing bad, dumb things, right? right. The, the folks that we've observed that have had a lot of success in life, they just make fewer dumb mistakes. It seems like they go backwards less. Well, I think what's your perspective? Or potentially, they've gotten that all out of the way, and we've only seen the good stuff since because all their blowups were much earlier in the day. I mean, we don't know. I, I haven't done a, I've not been a good, diligent, a good enough student in reading all the biographies, right? But obviously, you know, you read about Elon between PayPal and, and uh, uh, I can't remember what the thing after that. And then you got Tesla, SpaceX, and now Twitter, right? Like you can hear all the good things, right? But we don't know. I don't know all of his previous failures, right? So it's just, yeah, uh, we hear all the great things. And the reason why we get to hear all these great things is probably because we haven't, they haven't blown themselves up uh, recently. Yeah. Well, and you, you, you introduce every single show with the same you know, little phrase that if we could take all of our negative months and just turn those to zero, where would you be? I mean, Steve, you've been in business for well over a decade now in mm -hmm. the real estate world. Yeah. How, how, if you could get rid of all your negative months, where do you think you'd be right now? Man, I mean, I would say there was one flip. I think we lost like $80,000 on. I mean, how much sleep my dad lost on that, how much strain it put on our uh, business decisions, right? Uh, this In December, we closed on two flips that were both negative because we bought them pre-June. Be a lot better financially at this exact moment <laughs> if we didn't lose that massive chunk of change, right, on those two deals. So, um, but if you look back, like, you know, some of the worst decisions, um, I would definitely be retired and living pretty comfortably, probably still doing this, honestly, but I'd be living a lot more comfortably right now if I didn't make some of those stupid boneheaded errors. Yeah. I, I, I can resonate with that. <laughs> uh, and you know, have you if, made any, have you made any decisions that, that were uh, big, big negatives, big, big, big strikeouts? You know about my one big strikeout that I'm, I still have it. It still hasn't kind of worked its way all the way through, but I've got a fix and flip right now that I probably will lose more than you lost on your last one. Oh yeah, uh, that's to be determined. Um, we're 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 back on a better track with it now, so we're getting you know going forward. But you know, I almost want to go back to the root cause of why this is for us entrepreneurs, and um, you know, we've we've referenced this framework that we call CASE many times. So if you're not familiar with that, it's an acronym. C stands for collect or compile. A, analyze, S, strategize, and E, execute. And of course, this is something that we learned as part of the certainty operating system from, from Dan. And what he has, so uh, it's very uncomfortable when you actually start looking at your, your decisions and, and how quickly we move right past collect and analyze. You know, we get some idea and we're like, let's just try it. Let's go for it. Here's what we're going to do. You know, you hear some YouTube video or, you know, you go to some event or you get this idea and you're like, cool, let's go out and try it. <laughs> and you start spending resources and you start spending money and you start allocating all this stuff to these strategies that you're trying to execute on. But you really haven't done the due diligence to, to collect and analyze the data. You know, so where that's shown up for me is when the market was going like this, 2021, it was like, yeah, you got to fix and flip. Cool. Let's do it. You know, I, I didn't, it, it sounds almost embarrassing to say out loud, but it's like, 
you didn't do the due diligence of pulling all the comps, going out there, getting your contractors in there to do the, you know, the inspections and put together the proper scope of work. And how are we going to prevent scheduling problems? How are we going to prevent uh, you know, issues with the market, all that sort of stuff? It was like, no, just buy it. We're yeah, good. I mean, Go for you it. talk about reference checks, actual comps, actual, actual contractor bids prior to close, right? These are things that might might be helpful. I mean, I mean, I, I can speak again for myself. You know, I made a decision uh, last year that, you know, $30,000 gone out the window, right? Because someone said, oh, you should work with this person. Okay, you vouch for him. I'm going to do it. Wow, that was just $30,000 lit on fire, <laughs> right? Why? Our, our bias is to strategize and execute. And really, it's like the last bit of strategize. It's just the I-Z-E of strategize <laughs> and then execute. How much heartburn could we have saved if we actually did the comp compilation part? Yeah. And so what what you find, you know, and I'm going to, I don't know if you can see my, yep. my board Looks if good. you're watching this. Um, but, you know, this is the journey of an entrepreneur, right? And you can hear it squeaking on the board, right? It's this like up and down, up and down, highs and lows, highs and lows. And you're just bouncing back and forth. You have a great month. And then you have a, you know, and, and maybe it looks a little different, but this is generally how I feel, how I feel. I can't speak for everyone, but this is how I feel. My business has gone. I think it's pretty close to how most people feel. There might be some uh, macro downtrending along the way, but all in all, I think it's pretty much how it goes. Right. And so really there's, there's a trend line, right? If you draw the trend line, it goes right through the center. It's not, it's, it's the average of the highs and the lows. Right. So when we talk about progress, we're not necessarily talking about only increasing the highs. We have to also consider the lows. And so this concept of raising the floor is really the question that that we ask in the whale club and that we ask as part of the certainty operating system is and we call this the parenting frame is like, how do we prevent bad things from happening in the first place? You know what? and we call these uh, preventive controls, what preventive controls can I put in place so that I minimize the downside as much as possible? Yeah, absolutely. And um, it kind of goes back to what you're saying, right? Analyze. Actually, right. sit down and think about it. And so what, what are some of the things that, you know, we could compile in a real estate business to help because again, if the goal here is to raise the floor, and what we mean by that is just try to prevent negative months. You know, Dan tells us all the time, if you can just eliminate all the downside or as much downside as possible, what are you left with? Upside. Upside. You're just left with upside. Now, it may not be as much upside as if you only focused on upside. Mm -hmm. And I know it's not as sexy and it's definitely not as fun to focus on how do you prevent bad things from happening. But if your goal is financial certainty, you know, I've learned that that's the best way to approach it. If your goal is to look really good on Instagram and to, you know, get a bunch of clout and like, you know, compete with everybody else and try to, you know, compare yourself to everyone, then maybe preventing the bad things from happening is not something you focus on. You're just trying to beat your personal record every single month or every yeah. single year, right? Would it be helpful if we just kind of illustrate just a few problems, at least my problems, <laughs> where this would have been extremely helpful? 
I think it's a great idea. Which problem you got? So, I mean, in the past, right? Like, um, buying properties without doing the actual comp research and believing the other guy when he said what the ARV was, the actual after repair value, right? I think that's one. Um, yep. <laughs> hearing someone else's marketing that's working really well for them in their specific market and business and say, I'm going to do that. And we commit massive resources to it versus like, let's dabble. Let's just, let's, let's, let's take a, a few micro steps, right? Or, uh, spending some money on marketing and having it actually work and not having the team prepared to support it and just squandering all that marketing because no one's actually able to take the calls. I would say those are three problems where maybe a little bit of compiling and analyzing might've helped. So let's take the, the ARV and the comps, because that's something I think a lot of us can relate to. Mm -hmm. Um, especially when you're moving fast, especially when you're looking up, you know, at like, how do I do more deals? How do I do bigger deals and turn them faster? You're really, you're, you're, um, you're exposed when you start thinking like that, right? Not again, we're not saying that growth is bad. All we're saying is instead of focusing on the upside, we can focus on eliminating the downside. So what are some preventive well, I not controls? Just, not, I think said another way, we love upside. We love upside and we love growth. We're just saying, take a little bit of time to reduce the downside in case it doesn't work out the way you hope it works out. Correct. And also what, you know, what can you do? What, what rules can you define ahead of time? So that like you, because we've talked all the time about the, the human mindset versus the champion's mind. And, you know, the human mindset is the, the old brain, the woolly mammoth brain that we've talked about many times, you know, and it's designed to try to maximize for everything. I mean, our biology dictates that. Um, and that's just how our brain has evolved. We're not, uh, Daniel Kahneman calls it system one versus system two brain. So you might've heard these things before. Um, but again, our, our tendency when we get into most situations is to react. So we've got to have controls in our business and in our life to prevent certain things from happening. And it, part of it comes down to recognizing your own biases, right? If you're biased towards, you know, things like you and I are, which is just skipping right past that compile and analyze phase, then what can we do to put in place on the front end so that we avoid that in the future? We prevent that from happening. So, you know, in terms of the comps and the ARV, what's a preventive control? If you're going to buy a house and a wholesaler sends you a house, what's a preventive control that would make sense to prevent a bad situation you know, happening where you didn't run the comps? Actually run the comps? <laughs> it sounds so simple, right? And, and it's like, Okay, so how do we put that into a system that if we're going to do a certain thing, we can't we can't go forward? And, and let me give an example for those to understand maybe the difference between preventive, what Dan calls preventive versus detective controls. So, you know, if, if you've got let's say you've got kids and you don't want them to watch some sort of R rated film or something on Netflix right? You might have parental controls that you put on that. And so they can't even get to it in the first place. Right. Now, that's obviously better than a scenario where like where a detective control might be, you get an email notifying you that somebody watched some R-rated film on Netflix. 
okay, that's good that you know that, but it would have been better to prevent it in the first place. So yeah. detective is good, preventive is better. Absolutely. And I think, right? you know, we, we say, you know, like running comps, but I think another thing too is just to understand why this happens, right? Because it's embarrassing when you say it, it, said it, it's embarrassing when I've said it. But why do we do it, right? It's because we let system one run, right? We let the, the human brain take control instead of the, the champion's brain, right? Or the champion's mind. And so we get caught up like, I better do this right now or I'm going to miss out on it, right? So we have this thing that's pulling us and causing us to make unforced errors. And it's just having the parental control of saying, here's some things you need to do, dummy, to make sure you don't make super expensive mistakes. Yeah. Well, and, you know, Nick Peterson says this all the time about, well, I don't know about all the time, but I heard him speak one time around somebody asked him the question, if there's one thing, you know, someone should know before getting into crypto, what would it be? And I would substitute that for real estate as well. Crypto, real estate, whatever. And I think that person was asked was asking and expecting some sort of elaborate, you know, fantastic answer. A technical answer. About crypto, technical answer. And he goes, I would I would want them to know themselves. And and I think what he meant by that is the people who have who seem to have success over and over and over, who seem to quote get lucky over and over and over, they have a couple things. One, they've identified their biases because we are all biased. We're all biased towards FOMO. We're all biased towards comparison. We're all biased towards recency. I mean, we study all these biases in the whale club, right? So we know a lot of these phrases, but just, just trust me, we're all biased in certain ways, right? And the, the folks who are successful have identified those biases and they account for them in the equation. Yeah, preventive controls and something that it took last year and the last year and a half really was to really implement a system to keep me out of trouble. I'm no longer allowed to say yes to things. I have to talk to my team first, right? I'm not allowed. I'm not allowed to commit to any sort of financial decisions anymore. And it, I bet when I'm negotiating with somebody, they they feel like Steve's just using this authority, <laughs> uh, a higher authority power thing. Like, no, like I am no longer allowed to make important decisions without at least talking to my team first, because that's what it takes for me to slow down and, and offer parental controls. It sounds so silly saying it, but man, it's been a game changer for me. Mm -hmm. You know, so setting, setting things like that up and we do the same thing in our business. Um, you know, it's kind of like another way of saying this is, if you're going to spend over a certain amount, you got to talk to your business partner. You got to talk to your wife. You got to talk to whoever, you know, and, and, and you cannot do that thing unless, you know, you, you get approval or you discuss it with this person or whatever it is. And, and so, you know, you, you gave another couple examples here. You, know, you want to do a, a new marketing campaign, let's say, because you, you heard that direct mail is crushing it for someone in some random market with a completely different business than yours that has nothing to do with anything other than the fact that you're just in the same industry. Well, you mean you want to hear what I, when I did it, <laughs> right? Please. Yeah. It was, uh, you know, in, in collective genius there, there's guys that run TV marketing, right? I mean, Doug Hopkins in my market crushes it with TV marketing. Right. And so there's Eric Brewer crushing it in York, Pennsylvania, TV marketing. So, okay. Works for them. I'll do it. 
And so I go into Albuquerque, New Mexico, 15000 a month. No big deal, right? We run it. Boy, we're not getting those returns. All right. Shut it down. Let's go to Oklahoma City. Do the same exact thing. Huh. It's not working. Shut it down. $15,000 a month goes pretty far. And there's a lot of things we can do with that $15,000 a month. Fortunately, we didn't lose money. But the resources, the, the you know, talking about not having, not having unlimited resources, we squandered a lot of resources, effort, things our team could be focused on that would have actually brought in more revenue. Had we actually just microstepped it or something, just done a little bit more thinking. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, that's an interesting, that's an interesting example because what data could have been collected in that case? Could have spent 5,000 a month instead of 15, right? Could have, well, let me, could have been a smaller play, step. let me play a special skeptic here. What if 5,000 isn't enough to give you the information you need? I don't know. I don't know. But I mean, what we learned after we started doing it right in, in New Mexico, Albuquerque, if you, since it's the capital, apparently the entire state watches one channel or <laughs> the same channels, right? Like what I watch in Phoenix, they're not watching in Tucson. They're not watching in Flagstaff. But apparently in Albuquerque, that entire market, their entire state watches <laughs> the, the same channels, right? Uh, I think I could have learned that on 5000 a month. But I got yeah. fifteen thousand months. But yeah, yeah, you're totally right. Maybe the maybe I didn't. Maybe I need to spend fifteen. But I think the population there could have gotten away with a lot less. Well, and and you're you're touching on something that reminds me of the concept of a stop loss too, mm-hmm. right? So you sort of it's part of this is oftentimes like we're not going to make the right decisions all the time, and so a lot of it is just how do we prevent it from getting bad, bad, right? Like. You probably said to yourself, hey, I'm willing to to spend X amount of money to give this a shot. Yeah, three months. We said in both of those, we're going to try this for three months. Right. And so, so the preventive control might be saying that if after three months we don't get X or Y, then we're going we're gonna to cut it off. I mean, we see this in stocks, right? I'm willing to lose some, but I'm not willing to lose more than this. And, and so this is actually what we call the commissioner frame, you know, and, and obviously in the whale club and in the certainty operating system, we go through all this type of stuff and, you know, really teach in a community how to apply these things to your business. And we're just sort of, you know, talking about it here, but the idea is, is the commissioner frame says, well, imagine you're the commissioner of, of a league, right? Think of the NFL or think of major league baseball or something like that, right? There's a commissioner And, you know, the idea is that the commissioner gets to make the rules of the game and he's laying out the rules, defining how things are going to be played. And we should be adopting that same frame inside of our business. And so defining the rules ahead of time is much different than, you know, and I, I, the countless number of times where I've just tried something. I mean, direct mail was the best example of that. Like we just kept doing it and doing it. And then, oh, we got a few more leads and it's not really returning as much as I'd like it to return, but we just kept doing it. Um, But at least you implemented a stop loss where you said, hey, if after X amount of time, I don't get a certain amount of deals or or whatever your metric is, like we're not, we're just going to cut it off. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so part of preventing bad things from happening is defining it in advance 
the rules of the game because again when you get going your biases are going to kick in you're going to start reacting you're going to start making excuses or justifying it or you know how about like employees for example like a salesperson i mean i think your point right is is that part where if we don't set the rules ahead of time then we're going to name that puppy and we're going to be committed and we're not going to stop because the puppy because it's a puppy man it's like (laughs) this is mine i gave it a name yeah yeah so yeah just defining these things ahead of time can oftentimes be enough to prevent bad things from happening so you know I'm I am in the process of like revisiting every single decision that I've ever made in my business and asking myself, how do I prevent losing money from marketing? How do I prevent making bad hires? How do I prevent getting burned on a deal? You know, and and these are the questions we should probably be asking ourselves as business owners as a it. Well, not necessarily as opposed, but first, before we ask ourselves how do we do more deals and make more money? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, and, and this reminds me of the Dunning uh, or the, the, the Mount Stupid that we've talked about. Dunning-Kruger. Right, and the Dunning-Kruger, yeah. And so if you guys, I can draw it for you here. And this one requires watching. a drawing. Yeah, this, this is a good one to draw. So, you know, go Google Dunning-Kruger and, and it looks like this. So you have Mount Stupid up here. And what do you call this? The Valley of Despair, something like that. (laughs) Sounds about right. And then you have the Slope of Enlightenment. So, you know, we all get into business. And I guess I I don't want to overgeneralize. A lot of us entrepreneurs are wired towards action, right? It's a skill. And it's a it's a it's a good quality to have. I'm not saying it's like all bad, but the point is is that this is oftentimes what we experience. This rise up, we make a bunch of money or or whatever, but you're not paying attention to the to the bad things that could happen because we're taking every bet we take has risk associated with it, right? There's there's no zero risk decisions in entrepreneurship. And so we make these decisions, we rise to Mount Stupid, and then all of a sudden, those, those uh, risks that we took on that we weren't really acknowledging, they all start to kind of compound and hit at a certain point. And then that's the fall that we all experience. Yeah. And it's a long, painful fall. It is. And I think, uh, you know, you never talking about this earlier, like, we have, we're, we're placing all these bets, right? We're, we're doing direct mail, PPC, TV calling, texting, where we do all these things. And one of them hits, one of them pops. And man, we're feeling pretty good about ourselves, right? And the sto- what's the story we tell ourselves? I'm smart. I've got to figure it out. I'm basically a millionaire. It's just a matter of time. Mm-hmm. And then <laughs> all the other bets start paying off with zeros. And then we get to the, we get to the valley of despair. And you fall and you hit your face on the bottom. And now it's like, crap, what, yeah. to, what do I do now? And, and this is where the real work begins, right? Is, 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 this is the path towards sustainability. He calls it the slope of enlightenment. And what that means to me is that success is, is about preventing bad things from happening 
because we do um we've talked about the the analogy of and if you guys have never read the book anti-fragile by nasim nicholas taleb i highly recommend it he talks about this concept you know in 400 pages and it's like it's a really in-depth analysis of how to make these bets and prevent bad things from happening if you notice the folks who who have succeeded you know the analogy that we've given in the past is if you fall from a foot off the ground right you're making a bet let's say and that bet is that if i fall from a foot it, it won't hurt me right and if you do that 30 times in a row it's not going to hurt you. I mean, you can jump up and down and fall from a foot 30 times in a row. It's not going to hurt you. But if you fall one time from 30 feet, it could kill you. And these are the types of bets that we make. You know, it's like, yeah, you know, and I, again, I don't know if this is the perfect analogy, but the idea is like, if you fall from 30 feet and jump into a pool or something, like you could be okay. And yeah, the thrill is amazing. And it doesn't really sound that exciting to, to jump off of a, a one foot ledge. Like that's boring. Right. But part of the slope of enlightenment and my, obviously in my opinion is about placing bets that the downside is very low and you're focused on removing as much risk as possible. So it's a mindset shift and well, it's, and it's like you only hit that falling from Mount stupid. Yeah. And I think like part of it too, right. Is that, because we're wired to take action, because we're wired to, to make bets or take bets, over time, we figure things out and we get better. The danger is I think it's kind of like the casino, right? The very first time you go to Vegas, you bet $5 at a blackjack table. It's like, ah, you know, $5, right? Okay, I won, I lost, whatever. Over time, $5 is a complete waste of time for you on a bet. Now you're betting 20, you're betting 50, you're betting 100, you're betting 1,000 because you're not going to get a rush if it doesn't hurt to lose, right? You don't get the thrill, you don't get to enjoy the thrill of the win if it doesn't hurt to lose. And so the, the challenge, and I'm totally guilty of this, I kind of shared it, I recorded a video earlier about this, is that we place bigger bets as entrepreneurs as we, as we grow and scale and we take bigger bets and bigger bets in the mistakes I've made is I've taste, as I've placed bigger bets is I did not reduce the downside. Yeah. Bigger upside, but also bigger downside. And those falls, they, they hurt worse, the higher up you get. Yeah. Right. So part of, again, part of that slope of enlightenment is realizing that it's, it's okay to, to go after upside, but what we want is not just upside. You know, what's the phrase that Nick and Dan use all the time. They don't just say, you know, the fourth wealth commandment doesn't just say upside. It says we want to take asymmetric bets to the upside, which means that the upside is really big, but the downside is really low. And I found myself over the last, you know, two and a half, three years making a lot of bets that the upside was big, but the downside was also very big. And you hit some of those bets and you're like, See, I told you, all you haters out there, I told you, right? And and it's like, yeah, you got like, I'm really happy that that worked out for you. And then you just keep climbing up Mount Stupid. Keep going, keep going, keep going, because you take bigger upside bets, but the downside gets bigger and bigger too. That's the big rise and the big fall that you see. It's not yeah. sustainable. And I think just... uh Listening to Nick talk about this recently, I, I liked another way he put it is if you look at all the 
predominantly most Hall of Famers just didn't have bad years, right? They didn't have negative years, right? Like for the most part, they had a long continued stretch of good years. That's how they became Hall of Famers. I mean, I think Cal Ripken would be like the prototypical, right? He was just there every single day. You know, like Kobe Bryant has a bad game. Kobe Bryant's bad game is like 14 points. Two for like maybe like 20, right? But he still gets you the points. And he still showed up like an all-star, right? So the key here is not just, if you look at Hall of Fame uh, track record, it's about reducing the downside. So we've talked about the importance of raising your floor. And we, we mentioned a few tools, right? The, the parenting frame, the detective frame, the commissioner, commissioner frame. What other tools that we normally talk about in the whale club can we apply here in, in, in raising the floor? One that's coming to mind is we have to play professional skeptic. So this, this is a frame that essentially forces us to ask the question, like, why? Why are you doing this? What are the possible things that could go wrong? We focus all the time on the things that could go, go well. And yeah, let's focus on things that prevent these things from going wrong. But if, if we can't put on our, again, what we call the professional skeptic frame and ask ourselves, like, why are you doing this? Do you actually have data for doing this? What's the worst thing that could happen here? Right. And those are uncomfortable questions to ask yourself internally, but they, they must be asked. If you're going to avoid bad things from happening, we've got to play professional skeptic in our own lives. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the cool things that I've learned from Ren in sales leadership is when he's talking to a new person joining the organization is like, okay, like what are your hopes are? What are you trying to accomplish? Right. That's the good stuff. And then he asks the question, if you're unable to do these things that you're saying you're going to do, what are we going to do about it? What kind of conversations are we going to have? How would you like me to hold you accountable? And this is addressing the downside, right? Because it's, we, you and I, were in sales. We've led organizations with salespeople. It sucks when salespeople don't perform. And now we're like, now I got to have this difficult conversation. Now I got to have this conversation maybe off-site so that it doesn't get super ugly, right? But if we actually address the downside before we even start, right, the skeptics frame and the uh, learning how to eliminate, uh, eliminate your downside with, uh, I guess this would be the parenting frame, right? It's saying, hey, what are we going to do? Like, what's the worst that can happen? And what are we going to do right now so that we can address it when something bad happens? Exactly. What is going to, what are we going to do when something bad happens and plan for those things ahead? Um, it reduces your anxiety significantly. And what I like about what Ren talks about and this whole idea around accountability is the idea of like, we just need to avoid the, the, instead of trying to beat our PR. So it's new year's, right? We just had new year's. New year, new me. And everybody, what's that? New year, new me. New year, new me. And you know, Everyone's trying to raise the ceiling. They're all talking. I mean, not everyone, of course, but the typical way we set New Year's resolutions is, well, I did 50 deals last year. Next year, I want to do 100. That sounds familiar. And <laughs> right, are, are you in my meetings? 
We're healing yeah, meetings oh in the <laughs> Yeah. And so what do they do? Again, we're not saying gross bad. It's not like we're saying you can't go from 50 to 100. But what we're saying is, you know, let's talk about the rule of three and 10. You've heard it. You know, we talk about this in the, in the whale club. Yep. This was a, this was a, I can't remember his name, but Rakuten, the company Rakuten, the guy who founded that. Mm -hmm. Essentially what he said was that every time your business triples or increases by an order of magnitude of 10, everything breaks. So part of the professional skeptic frame is also thinking forward and saying, if we're going to do these things, what are the, the reasonable, uh, what can we reasonably expect that's going to break at that level? How do we identify that so that we can prevent it from happening in the first place? Yeah. I mean, exactly to that point. So, you know, Jaden's taking over our wholesale operations, right? And he's stepping into that as the integrator now. And he has said, you know, he wants to get us to 10, 15 deals a month in the Phoenix market. So that's great. And I share with you some things that can go south so that we can prepare for it right now, right? Some things you're going to run into. Uh, we don't have the proper administrative support to ensure all the salespeople, if they're getting all these contracts, that we can support them on all these contracts. Uh, you're going to have, because we got more bodies now, people are going to be sick for no reason, right? They're just, or they're just not going to show up. And here you are babysitting, freaking out. What is going on? Why are they not at the appointment? And then you're going to have some months, right? Because the amount of marketing we got to spend to get there is a larger spend. There are going to be some months where we're going to have some negative months. How much sleep are you going to lose? So like, I, I fully support you on this endeavor. I think this is exciting. Just be aware that there's going to be a cognitive load that does not show up on the P&L. There's going to be yes. a burden on you and, and the team and the leadership team and everything else that does not show up on a balance sheet or a P&L, but there's a cost that we completely ignore. Yeah. I mean, the third wealth commandment says that every decision has an infinite number of trade-offs. Yeah. So when you make that, like there's going to be trade. Another way of saying that is like, there's just, there's trade-offs for everything. Yeah. Right. And uh, one of my, the six word update, one of the ones I talked about was that maximum achievability doesn't equal maximum sustainability. You know, so, so think of it like this. If you're, if you're running your first marathon and you've been training and you, and you know, you complete that marathon and you complete it in a PR. Is it reasonable to assume that every single day you're going to be able to beat that PR? No, it's not. It's right? unreasonable, but we have this, I don't know if it's a human mindset or what, we have this expectation. We have this unrealistic expectation, but it is unreasonable. Yeah. I mean, I heard Alex Hormozzi talking about this the other day about uh, power lifters and how they they the the folks who are the strongest who compete in the in the u.s olympics and things like this they don't max out often at all like almost ever they're not trying to beat their pr because they understand that it's not about the pr it's about the rolling average right how do we increase the rolling average week over week because your maximum achievability the max you can do on bench press is not the same as what you can sustain 
day after day, week after week, month after month. Yeah. And so instead of focusing on how do I beat my previous PR, how do I go from 50 to 100? It's, you know, the better question is like, how do I prevent all the mistakes that kept us from doing more deals? Well, I think maybe another right? way to look at this, right? So let's say last year you did 50 deals. Okay, great, right? Let's look at your best month and your worst month, right? So we look at the best month. Okay, we know this is, a, this is achievable. Not sustainable, we know this is achievable. And then we look at our worst month. Okay, and our bad worst moments, this is what we're capable of. How do we raise, let's, how can we double maybe? the number of our worst month. Instead of trying to figure out how do we raise the ceiling of our best month, because that's how we naturally are wired. Instead, how do we raise the ceiling of our best month in the last 12 months? How do we raise the floor of our last 12 months? And we can raise the floor in the last 12 months. We can't help but have a way better year this year versus last year. That's well said. Uh, your boy, Larry Yatch. You know, we, we heard him speak at the last Collective Genius event. Uh, I want to say that was October when I heard him speak. And he was perfectly describing this. He was talked about, I forget the exact categories, but it was like marketing, sales, fulfillment, and admin or admin. something like yep. this. Like four areas. Mm -hmm. And, you know, imagine, I'll just show it to you. I wrote Never Water the Weeds. If you guys haven't noticed, I take all my notes here on my little whiteboard. So if you see me like looking down, that's what I'm doing. I'm typing, I'm writing stuff out. But, you know, he's got marketing, sales, fulfillment, and then admin. You have to move your camera right? down or move the screen up somehow. Oh, yeah. Let's see. I don't know. There you go. There you go. So, you know, you've got these different levels. And, you know, here's your business, right? And if you, first of all, you got to compile to know where you're at yep. because we don't do that. We just, most of us, I, if you're like me, you're just like, yeah, but just do more sales and then it'll all be good. <laughs> sell That's more stuff and then it'll all sales, light itself off the board. What do we tell ourselves, right? Sales solves all problems. Well, now if you're looking at this. Yeah. Sometimes. Uh, it can. You can sell your way out of bad situations, but that's not a way to achieve long-term reliability. Is having to constantly play catch-up and and you know, knock you know hit the game-winning shot, so to speak. Yeah. Um, but what a case in point for optimize before you maximize. What Larry says is like we're not trying to do all these at once. It it means like okay, this one needs to come up. Right. Let's raise fulfillment. We need to get better at fulfillment because we've got a bottleneck there. And then, OK, it comes to here. OK, now now what do we need to raise? Oh, looks like marketing needs to come up a little bit. So it's the idea of the theory of constraints. It's another way of saying this. Mm -hmm. Like what is the biggest constraint that you have in your business? Just remove that one. Because guess what? It's going to cause another problem. And then you'll 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 move from constraint to constraint to constraint. Um. Dan would say this as never water the weeds. Another way of saying like, stop giving resources to things that's, that aren't working. If you just stop watering the weeds in your garden, because they're eating up all of the resources from all the other things that you're trying to grow, the beautiful flowers and vegetables or whatever you grow in your garden, I don't know. But the point is, is if you've got a bunch of weeds in there, they're going to be sucking up all these resources. So that is what we kind of mean by raising the floor. It's like get all these things that are sucking resources and then aren't adding to your solvable problem and pull them out of your business. Yep.
So I think if you go back to this example I use, which by the way, we're going to make another video. Just I'm really excited by my uh, study about the 12 months. If you just focused, let's say your worst month was one deal. Let's figure out why it was only one deal. Instead of figure out how can I do more? How can I, what marketing do I need to do to increase more and like increase our best month? Go back to your worst month and do what uh, Dan Nicholson calls an archaeological dig, right? I think that's what he calls it. Figure out why did you have that month that was so low. And once you've diagnosed and figure out why, spend your, allocate your resources, take micro steps first, right? <laughs> figure out why those things happen and then fix those things. Then you can't help, once you raise your floor, naturally raise your ceiling. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm going through his uh, BYOB, the Be Your Own Bank program right now. And um, one of the things that he's talking about is that a lot of business owners are, are making decisions based on historical data, right? So they you know, do a bunch of stuff like, all right, we're going to throw out a bunch of marketing and we're going to spend a bunch of money and then we're going to get some deals. And then like at the end of the month or the end of the quarter, or if you're like me, just like sporadically, whenever you get around to it, which we've, we're going to put some preventive controls to prevent that yep. in place. But like you're, you're looking in hindsight and you're saying, uh, we lost money two months ago. Right. Mm -hmm. Or guys, we lost money this month. And you're saying that like on the 31st and what he's trying to get us to do is to say, like, how can you in real time by forecasting and through all sorts of different, you know, uh, ways, right. To determine, it looks like we're going to lose money next month. So what can we do now to prevent that? Because preventive is because detective is good detecting when there's a problem. Hey guys, we had a problem. looks like we lost money. That's cool. Glad you detected that you lost money, but I'd rather you prevent that in the first place. Yeah. That's the difference between looking at your P and L, which man, I would be surprised if more than 20% of operators look at their P and L at least every 30 days. Um, but there's a difference between looking at your P and L, reviewing your P and L and actually having a forecasting model where you say, okay, based off everything today, Here's what our bank balances will look like based off our last 12 months spending habits, as well as what we have on the board, right? We can say 30 days from today, we know we have about a 20% fallout rate, right? We know we have things that fall from, that are supposed to close next month that end up closing in two months, right? We take those things, we take those things into account because we know from history what generally happens with escrows. Take all that data and we can say, okay, today is January 6th. This is what the bank balances is today based off historic data and what we get on the board on February 6th, here's how much we will have in the bank account. Yeah. Right. If we can get to that kind of clarity, I mean, how much certainty is that bringing? I mean, massive. I did an interview recently with uh, Stephanie Betters and she's the, the queen at this predictability, right? The whole point of, of her going into Salesforce and, um, you know, building these tools was because she's, she was, she had a problem. She mm -hmm. couldn't accurately predict her business. And that is the underpinnings, in my opinion, of financial certainty is, is knowing not just like what's happened in the past, but being able to say with a certain level of confidence, what's going to happen in the future. 
and adjusting to prevent bad things from happening. Yeah. And by the way, none of this happens without compiling and analyzing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I want to slip in a, a little secret strategy that I got from uh, Dan. Before you, do that, sound... I, before you do that, I think that was a good time to, to just mention real quick that these are all principles that Paul is going to be talking about for the next 12 weeks, 14 weeks, 10 weeks. What is it? 12. 12 yeah. weeks. So Paul's going to break down for the next 12 weeks inside the Whale Club, right? All these things and how he's applied and reviewed his own business, right? All these 10 concepts inside the Whale Club. If that's something that sounds interesting to you, you can go through. We have the Google form for the wait list inside the YouTube description or, or go to realestatecertainty.com, right? If this is resonating anyway with you guys, check that out. See if maybe we can help you guys gain more certainty, actively helping you with your business so we can talk about your business specifically versus Paul and Mai's business. All right, go ahead. Sorry. Super secret. Yeah, no. Well, and, and so let me just say this. Like, this is not me speaking from like a decade of experience like Steve. This is me speaking from, you know, I went through this process and learned the language of certainty. Now I'm going back and like, fixing all the stupid mistakes that I've made for the last three years. And so this is more of a like a peek into how I'm approaching it. And this next group in the whale club is actually, I was just kind of uh, compiling some of that today. We've got uh, 17 new uh, whales that are going to be going through this. These are all real estate investors, business owners, you know, who want more certainty in their business. And it's, it's a community and a collaboration really around like, what can we do to prevent bad things in our, our business? How do we get closer to our solvable problem? Ultimately, the goal here is to get financial certainty. You know, so that's what we're all working towards. So again, like Steve said, if that resonates with you and you want to learn more about it, uh, realestatecertainty.com, we've got a bunch of stuff there and you can get access to our free community where you can learn more about it. Uh now, super secret, uh, top secret thing. That's not really that secret. It's a little obvious, but it wasn't, it was like, oh, duh. Um, so what Dan had us do is go cancel and reissue every single credit card you have. And I told my wife I was going to do this. First thing she said to me, she's like, you know, they make apps for that, that can go on and, you know, find the subscriptions and yeah. yada, yada, yada. And I was like, yeah, but... That's an opt out. What we, cause they're saying, Hey, do you, do you want to cancel this? Do you want to opt out? What we want is to create a scenario where we have to opt in. And, and this is a case in point for every area of our business. We're trying to get our entire business set up so that we have to opt in. Um, and the same way that you have preventive controls, like if you're trying to keep your kid from watching R rated stuff, you got to put the passcode in. Like you've got to opt in to allow that to happen. Yeah. So by canceling all your credit cards and reissuing them, what's going to happen is you're going to get a whole bunch of emails. Yeah, it's going to create a little bit of work for you. And create a little bit but of chaos. Gonna, but positive chaos. But you're going to have to say, like, is it really worth my? Do I really want to go log back in and figure out what my username and passcode was and re-enter all my? credit card information or am I good? Just like, do I really need that? So by forcing you to opt back in to these things, 
you start to realize where you might be watering the weeds in your business. Yeah, I mean, this is brilliant, right? Because you, you just think about it. If you look at information marketing, one of the most competitive spaces for information marketing is in the gym industry. That's where, you know, we got our partner, Nick Peterson, and that's where Alex Hermosi, right? He's in that world. The reason why it's so competitive is because people can't cancel gym memberships. Because to intentionally cancel a gym membership is to make a decision to quit on yourself. It's to say, I'm no longer going to the gym, right? You have to break a promise to yourself and decide that you're not worthy of going to a gym. So the only way you're ever going to cancel a gym membership is to change your credit card. And then at that point, they'll call you. It's like, ah, I really need that gym membership. So, you know, I read Thinking Fast and Slow. Great concepts, really hard to get through. That's a dense book. Um, really was. But he talks about the concept of opting in versus opting out. And really, if you look at, I think it's Sweden, it's definitely one of the uh, Norwegian countries. They have like an 85% organ donation rate. And every other first world country has like a 13% organ donation rate. And what's the difference? When you get your driver's license in Sweden, you have to opt out of organ donation. In every other first world country, you have to opt in. The difference between 13% and 85% is opting out versus opting in. So to your point, right, the app versus just changing your credit card. And now you got to ask yourself, do I really want this? Did it really hurt not to have this? You know, and if it's not worth the five minutes of your time to go back in and figure out the username and password and re-enter your credit card information, it's probably not worth the expense. Yeah. Yeah. So I just, I thought that was brilliant. So today I literally canceled every single credit card except for my personal credit card. Cause I was like, well, I better get the other one back <laughs> before I cancel this one. Cause I, I won't have anything to, uh, to use to buy anything this weekend if I need to. So, yeah. So anything else that they can take from this as far as raising their floor, any other questions or tools that we can equip everyone that's listening with? Um, let's see, you know, we, we have touched on a lot of different tools today. We've talked about the parenting frame, the commissioner frame, the professional skeptic frame. We've talked about, uh, watering the weeds and we've talked about the rule of three. And I guess the last thing I would add is the four lenses. So we've talked about the four lenses on, on previous calls and the four lenses essentially says, is this a revenue generator? Is this a cost savings? Is it a time savings or is it a forcing function to because I had to do this anyways. I was, you know, I'm going to have to do my, my books. I'm going to have to do this eventually. So, you know, by doing this thing, is it going to force me to do something I was going to have to do anyways? Yeah. And so this is a really simple framework. We call it the four lenses. If you're making a decision, filter it through these four questions. Is it a revenue generator, a time savings, a cost savings, and a, or a forcing function? And what we teach and talk about in the whale club is like, ideally you want at least a minimum of two, but you know, I really don't move forward with anything anymore unless I can check three of those boxes off. So it oftentimes it'll force you to slow down and run these decisions through that framework to say, yeah, I get that you want to do this thing, but is it actually going to do three out of these four lenses? If not, then Maybe we better consider a different option. 
Yeah, I think that's a great, great point. And so uh, right now we got 13 people watching. I got five thumbs up. Thank you all for the thumbs up. What I would ask you guys as an investment into yourself is to take the things that Paul and I talked about today, ruminate on it, think about it, you know, maybe journal it out, and then putting a six-word update in the comments, right? Because again, if you put it in the comments, other people can take your observation and then maybe enhance their understanding as well. So uh, that's that's my ask for you guys for today. Uh, this has been huge. I hope you guys got a bunch of value. And, um, you know, until next week, Happy New Year. Until next week. Anything you want to add, Paul, before we sign off? There's a big difference between understanding these concepts and actually implementing in your business, right? So uh, if you're ready to get to work and you want to actually, you know, get these things implemented in your business, go check out realestatecertainty.com. You can come into our free community. Like I said, we've got our, Steve's going to be, Steve and I are going to be launching our next group starting next Wednesday. And if you're interested in learning more about that, you know, get a hold of us, go to the, there's a million places you can get a hold of us and let us know. Um, Or just be a fly on the wall and watch as we let these, you know, these other real estate investors absorb this stuff. We go implement it in their business and you'll start to see these case in points. They'll be popping up everywhere. Yeah, I'm really excited for that. So wrap up here. Thank you guys all for watching. See you guys all next week.